corrupt politicians, sleazy entertainment, greedy CEOs, physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, slavery of many types, two-faced ministers, harsh husbands, slanderous wives, absentee fathers, rebellious kids, lying, deception, desertion, brokenness, bitterness, betrayal, impurity, infidelity, ingratitude. The world is not as it is supposed to be. Something is wrong. Something is broken. Always winter, never Christmas. The question is why? What's wrong with the world? You know, there really are a few questions that every person needs to be able to answer. Where did we come from? What is the meaning of life? And what's wrong? Right? Because we just have to watch 10 minutes, not even that, really two minutes of the news to see that something ain't right. And it's nothing new. It's always been that way. We're going to see it's been that way since the beginning of time. Original sin started in the garden. G.K. Chesterton, Catholic writer, previous century said that the doctrine of original sin is the only doctrine that is empirically verifiable meaning you can look around at the world and verify it it's the only doctrine you can see the truth of it in our world no one can observe the world for any amount of time and conclude that something is not deeply wrong with humanity it is empirically verifiable it is evident and it starts so young right parents know there are no selfless 18 month olds they're just sinfully and selfish right out of the womb. The guys were reading a book together. Cody was leading us through on Wednesday nights, and Vody Bachum called them vipers and diapers. <laughs> Greed. Just think of the vocabulary. Violence. Selfishness. They're just the default settings we're born with. And without restraining influences, things just go bad, right? You leave little boys alone, what do you get? Lord of the Flies. Secular researcher Burton Weiss, so this guy's not a believer. He's got a book, very popular, and then he updated it. It's called The New First Three Years of Life. Here's what he writes. He says, that same child, speaking now of a different level on these first three years, that same child at 15 or 16 months of age is an altogether different person from the time he began to crawl. He's been collecting experiences in which he's been forbidden to do A or B or to play with objects C or D. From 15 to 16 months on, as his self-awareness becomes more substantial, something in his nature we don't fully understand will lead him to deliberately try each of these forbidden activities, specifically to see what will be allowed and what won't. In other words, he will begin systematically to challenge the authority of the adult he lives with. Resistance to simple requests become very common at this time. <laughs> My youngest is too. Very common. And if there's more than one child around, this can be a low point in the parenting experience. <laughs> I feel like I just need to go hug my wife real quick. Notice what he says, though. Something in his nature we do not fully understand. But we, the church of the living God, have God's revelation so we do understand at least partly we've inherited a sinful nature our corrupt nature manifests itself and it manifests itself in us early right even in our very first vocabulary we as parents always get so excited she said mama she said daddy what we don't tell people is that she's been saying no in mind for six months 
You don't have to teach them to steal. You have to teach them to share. You don't have to send them off to how to sin camp. No seminar on selfishness needed. They come in fully trained. It's inherited. It's inherited from their mother. It's inherited from their father because we all ultimately inherit a sinful nature from Adam as we're going to see this morning in our passage. We're in Romans 5. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 886. Our passage this morning is going to help us answer the question, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with humanity? So let's keep the big picture in Romans in mind. We've got a sin sandwich here in some ways. Romans 1 to 3 began with all about our sin. And then he turns to the good news of justification by faith alone in chapters 3, 4, and 5. And now in chapter 5, he's going to go back and he's going to get behind the problem. He's going to show us the roots and the reason for our depravity. And then he's going to leave us, not leave us there in despair, but show us how the grace of Christ overcomes Tightly, tightly condensed verses here in Romans chapter 5. Let's read verse 12 to 21. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sins. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore... As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's consider this morning the first Adam, the last Adam, and the role of the law. So first, we have the first Adam here in verses 12 to 14. Look with me again at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. So here we have this picture of sin as an intruder. Sin enters the world. It's an unwelcome intruder. It enters in. It's more than just offenses of God. Sin is offenses against God in Romans, but it's more than that. It's also a power. Remember we saw in Romans 3.10 that all people are under sin. Sin is this power that holds humanity down. It's Sin is the villain and death is the weapon of execution and all the world are its victims. Sin entered the world through one man. That man is obviously Adam, right? 
You know the story. Adam and Eve created without sin. They're totally perfect in the Garden of Eden. There was an ocean of yeses in the garden. There was really one prohibition. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it wasn't that God didn't want them to know the difference between good and evil. The issue is he was the one who would determine the difference between good and evil. In other words, God is the one who determines what's right. And God is the one who determines what's wrong, not humanity. But then you have the entrance of the serpent. The serpent questions the word of God. Did God really say? That's his question. Questions the word of God. He's been doing the same thing ever since. Many, a college professor, lectures with forked tongues. And he questions the judgment of God. You will not surely die. And so notice the created order is reversed. Adam and Eve are supposed to have dominion over the creation. And here we have the creation having dominion over the first couple. And they decide they will be the ones who will determine what's right and wrong. They decide they don't need God to tell them. They will be autonomous. Autos, self, namos, law. Self-law. They will be self-ruling. We don't need God to rule over us. We can rule over ourselves. Thank you. They thought they knew better and sin enters the world through one man. And death entered through sin. God had told Adam and Eve there in Genesis 2, he commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Death would be the consequence. In the next chapter, Genesis 3, when he's talking about the curses, he he says, you're dust. You are dust. And now to dust you shall return. So note the order here. Sin comes through one man, death because of sin, and then we have the spread of death everywhere because of sin. Death is a result of sin. Oftentimes at funerals we'll try to comfort people and we'll say something like, well, it's just a natural part of life, but not according to the Bible. Death is not natural according to the Bible. Death should not be here. Death is only here because of sin. The spread of death is because of the spread of sin. It's not supposed to be that way. There should be no death. We're going to learn in chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Universal death, we all die, is indicative of universal sin. We all sin. Sin entered through one man, death through sin. So death came to all men, he says, because all sinned. All people sin, so all people die. And we sin because of Adam, this corrupt nature that we inherit from him. And then, of course, it doesn't take long for us to sin on our own because of our nature. Here's how our confession puts it. The Baptist Faith Message 2000 says, Through the temptation of Satan, man transgressed the command of God and fell from his original innocence, whereby his posterity, that's us, inherit a nature and an environment inclined toward sin. All of us, every one of us. And many people say, well, that's not fair. I wasn't there in the garden. That's not fair. But we always got to remind ourselves that we don't want fair. Not in God's world. If God gives us fair, we get condemnation. We want grace. But we in the West, we struggle with this, right? Because we have this Western rugged individualism. But we got to realize we're unique in this. And many cultures in the world, especially in the East, but especially in the Bible, this whole idea of solidarity is much more important than it is for us in the West. Corporate solidarity. Adam is this corporate personality. He's this representative of all people, the head of mankind. He's the father of us all. 
So death spread because all sinned. We sinned in and through Adam, and then we sin ourselves as soon as we are able. But here's what we got to realize. Sin is really the problem. Sin is worse than we think it is. We saw that in Romans 3, right? Remember, we sin. We are sinners. Therefore, we sin. That's important. We sin because we're sinners. It's not that we become sinners after we sin. It's not simply the case that we're sinners because we sin. We're not born spiritually neutral. We're born inclined towards sin because of Adam. Born spiritually dead on arrival. That's what Ephesians 2 says. Dead in sin. Dead in trespasses. Ephesians 2, 4. We were not children of God. We were like the rest of mankind by nature, children of wrath. Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 58, 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. And so we enter the world guilty. We enter the world condemned and spiritually dead because of the sin of Adam. Sin entered, death followed to all people. The doctrine of original sin. By the way, it's not the point of the text, but it is worth noting, Paul, and we could also show that Jesus believed in a historical Adam. Many liberal Christians today deny the historicity of Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, but if there is no Adam, there is no Christianity. Look at verse 13. Here he answers an objection. So, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, speaking of the law of Moses, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So answers an objection, hey, what about the time when there was no law? Well, the people who lived before the law, they weren't guilty of breaking explicit commandments. Without a law, there is no law to break. Without a law, you can't transgress a commandment, but that doesn't mean sin was not there. Sin was clearly there, right? You read the narrative of Noah or Babel. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. He addresses it there. All who sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And so we know there was sin before the law because death reigned. And there is no death without sin. So this idea of representative headship is kind of bad news, but it's not all bad news, right? Because notice what he says there in chapter 5, verse 14. He says, Adam was a type of the one to come. We've talked about types a little bit. Types are these people or these events or these institutions that God placed in the Old Testament that pointed forward. Just in Romans, we've already seen that physical circumcision was a type that pointed forward and finds fulfillment in spiritual circumcision of the heart, regeneration. We saw in Romans 4.13 that the land promise was a type that pointed forward ultimately to the whole world. You can think of all kinds of different things. The temple was a type that pointed forward to the church and then ultimately to the new world where the whole world would be a temple. The priesthood was a type to point to the great high priest, Jesus. On and on we could go. Well, here he says Adam is a type of the one to come. He's a type of Christ. Adam represents all mankind in sin, Christ represents his people in righteousness. Representative headship is actually not bad news. It's the best news in the world. He's our substitute. He's our representative. We talked quite a bit about imputation in Romans 4. The fact that our sins aren't counted as ours, but Christ's righteousness is counted or imputed to us. Well, here we learn that there are actually three imputations. I think we've got a graphic for you visual learners. 
First, we have the imputation of Adam's sin to all humanity. We are counted sinful. We are in Adam. That's the first imputation. Second imputation, we have the sin of humanity imputed to Jesus Christ. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And then we have the third imputation, and that is the righteousness of Jesus to us. So Adam's sin to all humanity, our sin to Jesus Christ, and his righteousness to our account is the best news in the world. So if we're going to say, hey, it's not fair that Adam represents us, it's equally unfair that Christ represents us. Again, we don't want fairness. We want, we need grace. That's the first Adam. And then the second Adam, these verses 15 to 19, they unfold just how Adam was a type of the one to come. Adam is a type of the last Adam, but there are massive differences, praise God. So here we have this five-fold contrast between Adam and Christ, between the first Adam and the last Adam, two representative heads whose acts are determinative for those whom they represent. First, contrast, with the first Adam, many die, but with the last Adam, grace abounds. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Not just gift, he says, but a free gift. And the word many here is just a Semitic expression for all. Second, with the first Adam, we receive condemnation. But with the last Adam, we receive the opposite justification. That's in verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Do the math here. Look at the arithmetic of grace. Condemnation follows one trespass. Justification follows many trespasses. God is not surprised by our sin. Remember chapter 4, God doesn't justify the godly. God justifies the ungodly. Adam's sin brought judgment and all, but the free gift of Christ brings justification. Remember that word means to be declared in the right. Sins forgiven and counted righteous. An important word. Martin Luther said that the whole church stands or falls with this doctrine of justification by faith alone. It's a declaration. It's not a process. It's a one-time declaration. You are in the right. You can't lose it. It's a right standing with God, not based on works, but based by grace through faith. So not condemnation, but justification. The third difference, because of the first Adam, death reigns. Because of the last Adam, life reigns. Look at verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Adam's sin brought death, universal death. The world is full of cemeteries. Death reigns. Its tyranny is total. Ten out of ten die because we share Adam as our father. But how much more? How much more will we reign in life now and for eternity? Death is not a period for the believer. It's just a comma. 
Death doesn't have the last word for us. 1 Corinthians 15 calls Jesus the last Adam. And here's what he says. He says, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Fourth, first Adam brings condemnation, but the last Adam brings justification in life. Look at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. He basically says the same thing he said in verse 16, right? But some truths are so glorious, you just need to say it twice. Condemnation is the opposite of justification. It's the law court metaphor. Either condemned or you are justified. And in Christ, we are not guilty, but righteous. Again, when it says all men here, some people try to use this verse and say that all people will be saved. I wish that were the case, but it's clearly not from the clear teaching of the rest of the New Testament. But even the other part of Romans 5, Romans 6 and 7, and the whole letter of Romans, Romans 17, I mean, verse 17 even says it's only for those who receive it. It's not the case that all people are saved. It's that all people are represented by Adam and all of Christ's people are represented by him. Death for all people in Adam, life for all those who are in the last Adam, in Christ. Again, we're talking about representative headship. Adam represents all humanity. Christ represents the new humanity. And so Christ represents a subset of humanity. The Gospel of John says all those that the Father has given to the Son. Fifth contrast. The first Adam makes sinners. The last Adam makes us righteous. It's in verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. From Adam, all are constituted as sinners because of Christ. All are declared in the right and one day will be transformed into perfect righteousness because he was obedient. I wonder how often you think about that. We, we talk and teach and sing a lot about the death of Christ, but his life is just as important. His obedience and his obedience on the cross climaxes and concludes a whole life of obedience. He was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. So the faithful last Adam reverses the curse brought about by unfaithful Adam. Because of his obedience, we are counted as righteous. His life is just as important as his death. In fact, one of my favorite theologians, I mentioned him before, Founder of Westminster Seminary, J. Gresham Machen. He's the one who dedicated his theology book to his mama. He was dying, and on his dying bed, he sent a telegram to a colleague, and here's what he said. He's dying. Here's his dying, not his dying words, but he's on his deathbed. He says, I'm so thankful for active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. See, this is where this matters. This is deep and this is dense. I understand that. But this is where theology matters. Where on your deathbed, you can be thankful for the imputation of Christ's righteousness. No hope without it. What is our confidence on our deathbed? It's Jesus Christ. It's him alone. Hope in the light of death is why theology matters. And then we have what seems like an abrupt transition for our third point, transition, third point, the role of the law. It's in verses 20 and 21. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Seems like an abrupt change of subject, right? Paul's been summarizing world history under two people, Adam and the last Adam. But he left out a pretty significant chunk of history. And for those Jewish Christians in Rome, it was probably really important. Hey, what about the law? You're saying Adam and Christ, where does the law fit in? Well, remember, the Jewish view of the law was very, very positive. The Jewish view of the law was that it actually restrained sin. It was the path to life. But here we see the law doesn't remedy the problem. The law doesn't remedy the Adam problem. In fact, he says it makes it worse. It exacerbates it. He says the law came in to increase the trespass. The law came in to increase sin. It doesn't give life. It increases sin. And here's where we've got to remind ourselves the law is not the problem. We're the problem. You see that flip over a page to chapter 7, verse 11. Speaking of the law of Moses, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. The commandment's not the problem, sin is. We can't keep it. Verse 12, so, that's a really important connecting word, because it deceived me, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Or look down at chapter 8, verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The problem wasn't the law. The problem was sin. The problem was the flesh. So the law causes sin to increase. It increases sin in its seriousness and it increases sin in the number of sins committed. So Adam represents the old age. Christ represents the new age. And Paul here lumps the law on the Adam side. God's purpose was never that the law would save. God's purpose in the giving of the law was always to drive us to our need of a Savior. The law doesn't save. It points us to the Savior. It points us to our need for something else, better someone else. Here's how one commentator puts it. The law can count sin, but it cannot counter sin. Puritan Thomas Adams says, The law may express sin, but it cannot suppress sin. Sin, Friends, the need of humanity is not commandments. The need of humanity is good news, not good advice. The need of humanity is the gospel. I stopped reading short, actually, in chapter 8, verse 3. But he says, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. What did he do? He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Romans 5.20 says, where sin increased, Grace abounds all the more. Our English really understates the point a little bit. Grace superabounds. John Bunyan titled his autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. That's right. Grace greater than all our sin. Sin reign, but now through Jesus Christ, grace and life will reign. Now, I kind of breezed over an important word in this passage, chapter 5, really the first word in our passage, verse 12, is therefore. It's an important word. Remember last week, Cody led us through chapter 5, 1 to 11, and Paul talked about the hope we have because we've been justified. Notice, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God and access into grace and the ability to rejoice even in suffering because we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character hope. It's good news, the blessings of justification, the happiest chapter in Romans. But hold on, 
What about the twin powers of sin and death? How can we be sure that we will have these blessings of justification? That's why he ties verses 1 to 11 to 12 to 21. Therefore, these are yours, endurance and perseverance and hope, because the last Adam has overcome the first Adam. Therefore, you can be assured, death and sin will not overcome because the work of the last Adam undoes and overcomes the work of the first Adam. Jesus is our hope. He is our only hope. The only hope for Adam's race is another Adam. It's a faithful Adam. You ever pay attention to the way the Gospel of Luke is written? Gospel of Luke begins chapter 1, chapter 2, and then it has the genealogy of Jesus. And unlike Matthew, this genealogy goes all the way back to Adam. So remember, there's no chapter breaks in the first century. The very last verse of chapter 3, verse 38, is that Jesus is a son of Adam. And then it moves into Luke chapter 4. And remember, no chapter breaks. Luke's wanting to make a point. Son of Adam transition into a temptation narrative where Satan comes and tries to tempt this second Adam. But unlike the first Adam, the second Adam is faithful. Adam brought sin and death. The last Adam brings righteousness and life. The twin towers of sin and death are overcome by the last Adam. So we can have confidence. We can have hope. Our team wins. Not because of your performance, not because of my performance, but because of the performance of our team captain. He will make all things right. He, even now in our lives, sin and death have been overcome. It's going to be the point of our section next week. The last Adam overcomes the first Adam. Helpful for understanding history, helpful for understanding who we are. Who are we? A lot of talk about identity today. What is our identity? Well, we are those who were in Adam but are now in Christ. Formerly condemned, now justified, declared in the right, loved and accepted by God, forgiven. We cannot be more loved than we are. You could obey for a thousand years, you would be no more loved than you are right this moment if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. Our standing is secure. Therefore, our future is secure. Again, last week, Romans 5, having been justified, that's the foundation of all the future blessings that lead from suffering and, and character and endurance to ultimately hope because hope does not disappoint. We can have hope because we've been justified. We've been moved from darkness to light, moved from Adam to Christ. We're in Christ. He is your life. So friends, build your life around him. Your identity needs to be around him. Don't build your life around you. Your performance and your popularity and your prettiness and your peers and your power and your pride. Jesus says that life, true life, is found when you lose it. In other words, when it's not about you. He says true life is found when you lose your life and you major your life on him and the gospel. That's where true life is found. Our identity is not us, it's Christ. Our worth is not us. It's from being united with Christ. There's a new song. I think it's new. It may not be new. Written by the Gettys. We'll sing it eventually, but I want to introduce you to you because it really sums up well what I'm trying to say. It says, my worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross.
I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in him, no other. My soul is satisfied in him alone. As summer flowers, we fade and die. Fame, youth, and beauty hurry by. But life eternal calls to us at the cross. I will not boast in wealth or might or human wisdom's fleeting light. But I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross. Two wonders here that I confess. My worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. Our worth is not in us. We are in Christ, no longer in Adam. So what's wrong with the world? There's something in his nature that we do not fully understand. Well, we do understand. Sin is the problem. Original sin, inherited sin, and sin of our own. The fall is the problem. What's the solution? The last Adam. Notice how chapter 5 is bookended. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the very last verse of chapter 5. As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All people are either in Adam or in Christ. Maybe you're here today and you don't know. You can be transitioned from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light today. You turn from your sin and you trust in Christ. You haven't done that or if you don't know if you've done that, we would love to talk with you. If you have done that and you haven't exercised that first step of obedience and believer's baptism, we'd love to do that as well. Trust in Christ. Be transferred. And we'll learn next week that because of that, we have not only a right standing, not only freed from the penalty of sin, but by God's grace, freed from the power of sin as well.